0: If you have not experienced or heard of our current challenges related to our teacher force, you are either lucky or not paying attention. It is a significant challenge now and promises to be only more so in the future. In this leader chat, Jeff engages with Dr. Ingersoll, who is a leading expert on America's elementary and secondary teaching force, who is also a professor in education and sociology at the University of Pennsylvania. Likely, we could not have found a better leader to talk with on this subject. The good news is that leaders can make a difference dealing with this challenge, as Dr. Ingersoll points out. I'm Chris Richard, the producer of Leader Chat. We know we have avid and first-time listeners. If you are either and have not rated us or left comments for us, please do so. We want to know what you think, so listen, learn, and enjoy.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, educators, leaders, how are you? My name is Jeff Rose. Welcome to Leader Chat today. And today is the first show of 2023, which is exciting. I'll just make a a quick comment on 2023. Uh, To be honest, um, I, I, I love the fact that a new year brings this kind of new rejuvenated spirit out in people. The concept of a new year's resolution is very common Um, And I appreciate people to do that. I do not, only because I just tend to not think uh, New Year's resolutions work very well. But that's just my own uh, humble opinion. I do know this, that the fact it is a new year is exciting. We're always hopeful that um, a new year will bring new opportunities, um, which they will. But know this, challenges don't leave us from one month to the next, which is exactly why we have these ongoing leader chats to really delve into these challenges in education, often from a leadership perspective. However, the fact is it really has to do with what is happening in communities and in schools and that bleeding over onto the table and responsibilities that leaders um, are supposed to assume and try to make progress and sometimes solve. And today is a topic, um, very very relevant. It's an ongoing one that we've talked about before through a variety of angles, and today will be really appreciated. I guarantee you of that. So without further ado, we're going to we're going to dive into today, and the, the topic is helping leaders understand teacher supply, demand shortages, and turnover, and. We are uh, privileged to be able to have recruited and, I don't know, twisted the arms somehow of Dr. Richard Ingersoll, who I'll read his bio and then we'll, we'll, we'll begin chatting with him here in a minute. So Richard Ingersoll is a professor of education and sociology at the Graduate School of Education, the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Ingersoll is a leading expert on America's elementary and secondary teaching force his research examines teaching as a job, teachers as employees, and schools as workplaces from a teacher's pre-employment training through their last day in the classroom. Dr. Ingersoll is widely published, nationally recognized, frequently quoted in the media, and has received numerous awards for his teaching, research, and writing. He has given hundreds of keynote addresses, speeches, and presentations to diverse audiences, including teachers, teachers, Researchers, educational leaders, and policymakers at the national, state, and local levels. I have had a chance to delve into uh, his research. He has a great website, which we're going to men- mention with some really, really impressive uh, video content as well, that are just, they really kind of shed the light on this dilemma and this challenge, and hopefully, an opportunity for us to start thinking a little bit differently around this concept of why teachers are leaving the profession, why we're potentially so shorthanded in the classroom in this day and age, and of course, what we expect to come in the future. So without further ado, let me invite Richard to join us. Richard, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here.
2: Thank you for having me, Jeff.
1: So so how have you been? I mean, we just got off kind of a holiday break. I mean, are you feeling... (laughs) Rested? Rejuvenated? Are you feeling antsy? I mean, how are things?
2: (laughs) Well, I liked your little uh, prelude there about rejuvenation and, of course, this whole thing about New Year's resolutions, which quickly seemed to fade. But I'm trying my best. I'm (laughs) trying my best.
1: Well, I was in the the gym yesterday, and uh, (laughs) I noticed a difference in terms of... uh, uh in terms of the, the the dropout just in terms of population at the gym just over two days because i was also there literally on the first which it was packed and even yesterday it started to dwindle so give it three weeks and it'll be back to normal is my assumption
2: yes i've noticed the same thing i i also go or try to go to a local gym
1: good for you and maybe i'm just jaded i don't mean to be so um i read your bio but it was is very brief bio relative to your experience what did I miss like fill in what I missed tell me tell the audience maybe a little bit more of yourself about yourself what you're currently doing and what your past has been because that one paragraph doesn't describe the the nuance of detail what brings you here today
2: my own personal biography is really what's behind my research my career. I, I was a high school teacher. I first taught in Western Canada, British Columbia, public schools. And then I did that for several years. And then I moved back to the East. I grew up in Delaware and Pennsylvania, and that's where I now am. And I taught in both public and private schools in, in the, in the East here. And when I moved back, I had a very big comeuppance. I w it was, it was shocking to me the job, putting aside the students for a minute, the job of being a teacher, at least where I taught, was far worse than the job of being a teacher in Western Canada. On any given dimension I could give you, whether it's pay or respect or resources or uh, having voice into decision-making or student discipline issues, I found teaching to be very, very tough in the schools in which I taught Delaware and Pennsylvania, New York state. And you know, as a teacher you're quite isolated. You, you don't really know, you don't even know what's going on elsewhere in the high school, much less in other schools across the country. And so I always wondered if is the, is the job like this elsewhere or did I just sort of have some bad <laughs> luck and end up in some schools that weren't that well managed and run and you know, what's the source of these? how widespread are these problems? What's the source of these problems? How did we get here? So eventually I quit, went and got a PhD and I've been studying and trying to answer those questions ever since.
1: So, you know, in, in, in looking at some of your areas of expertise, at least this is how I have found they were listed as teacher supply, demand, shortages, turnover, teacher preparation and quality, beginning teacher induction and mentoring school organization leadership and accountability teacher workforce trends teaching as a profession and and here's my curiosity based upon what you just described did that just create this initial kind of why of you know this path that you have created because this is not a new path for you. You've been researching and studying and talking about these issues for some time. So, was it that one experience that caused you to kind of say, listen, I wanna make a transition and start to study what you had potentially just experienced?
2: Exactly, Okay. exactly. I wanted to, well, I had a couple motives to be frank. One motive was I wanted to teach bigger kids who are better behaved. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, the kids in college are bigger and better behaved. But also I was so interested in trying to understand elementary, secondary teaching. How how did we get to, you know, what's the job? How did we get here? What's the job like? What are the sources of these problems? And I mean, amongst other things, you quickly learn that teacher shortages are not new at all. We've had teacher shortages for over a half century, and we've had lots of money spent to fix them. And so the question arises, well, have they been fixed? What, why do we keep having these teacher shortages every other year sort of thing? So, you know, I found myself going back into history of our educational system to try to understand the sources of these problems.
1: So let's let, let's maybe start there, because I, um, I, I told you before we, we started our show that I, I had read through this paper that was published in 2001 um, that that you wrote called Teacher Turnover and Teacher Shortages and Organizational Analysis. And I had mentioned to you that I, I, I read it. It was written in 2001, but I could have read it maybe at any particular time in my career and it would have stood up to the problem of the day. So maybe just give us kind of a brief history lesson on so what has been this ongoing issue relative to teacher shortages and how we think about it? And maybe uh, the fact is, I think that you, you described that it. it's just constantly misdiagnosed.
2: Yes, teacher shortages are not new, as I just mentioned. One of my students did an online search and found out that almost every president since Eisenhower at one point or another had given a speech on teacher shortages and of course proposed various initiatives and spending money to fix them they're not new and the and the conventional wisdom the 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 theory behind them is that we have two big demographic trends increase in student enrollments increase in teacher retirements these Demographic trends are colliding. We simply don't have enough teachers. We're not making enough teachers. That's the root of the problem. That's the diagnosis. And hence the solution, the prescription is, well, let's make more teachers. Let's recruit more people into this line of work. We've had dozens and dozens of interesting initiatives for the last half century, you know, uh, uh, alternative routes to get it to expedite getting into teaching. Uh, recruiting overseas, signing bonuses, uh, you know, housing assistance, all kinds of initiatives out there, all designed to bring more people into teaching, all based on the assumption that our shortages are a lack of supply. We're not making enough new teachers. And the more and more I bought this, everyone bought this, the more and more I looked at the data and studied this, I came to the conclusion that this was something of a wrong diagnosis and a wrong prescription. That the problem isn't simply that we're not making enough teachers and hence we need to bring in more. The problem is also that we're losing far too many teachers long before retirement. And so we also have to focus on retention, on keeping the ones we have. If we just recruit more people into teaching and we lose 40 to 50% within five years, And that was, we established that data point early on a couple decades ago. Well, then we haven't solved anything. It's the image that always comes to mind is the bucket with holes in the bottom. And we have to keep pouring water into that bucket, teachers into schools, just to stay even. Couldn't we do something to plug some of those holes, to use this metaphor, plug some of those holes in the bottom of the bucket to do a better job of retaining the teachers we already have?
1: Okay, so I want to get into the, you know, the, the, the concept of the diagnosis and the prescription here in a second, but let me ask you this. Um, we've had this ongoing issue that has been around for decades, specific to the problem you just described, or at least the narrative of the problem. Um, is it any different now? I mean, so right now, this is like a post-COVID uh, time. And there is clearly a panic in the field relative to turnover, relative to shortages. Do we know, do we have enough data right now to know is in fact right now different than it was maybe just five, 10 years ago?
2: That is a great question. And I've been asked that question probably dozens and dozens and dozens of times. (laughs) Probably more
1: than that, yeah.
2: Since COVID hit. All indications are is that this is an unusually this is a this is an unusually strong bout of teacher shortages that we have a crisis on our hands and all the indications are that you know the pipeline of people coming in is slowed down there's been an increase in, in teacher turnover teacher retirements beginning teachers quitting the reality is we do not have solid national data yet that we can compare to well how does this period compare to other periods. I mean, the data tell us, for instance, one of the, one of the, the worst shortage periods we ever had was 1999, for instance. Uh, That was where there was the largest percentage of schools out there in which the principal said, we just can't fill positions, which, which is the basic measure of shortages. So yes, there's some sense that things are really worse now. But I can't say that for sure. I'm a data guy. let's wait till we get the latest national data and then look look at the parameters of the problem, the extent of it, what fields, what schools, what states, et cetera, and compare it to the past
1: so um this this diagnosis and prescription issue um number one if if you if you have the wrong diagnosis, clearly you're going to end up with the wrong prescription right so um, it's interesting because one you you mentioned this this kind of analogy of plugging holes in the bucket right well um, i've i've described this as a as a, with a similar analogy of knowing that leaders are sometimes facing what they feel is like a sinking ship, and they have these holes right, and these holes are these missing people in classrooms missing principles, it's just missing bus drivers, it's just a a shortage of people. And so what I notice is this um, knee-jerk reaction, understandable knee-jerk reaction, to try to solve the problem. It's a lot of energy going into plugging these holes on, let's make sure we have people driving the buses, let's make sure we have people in the classrooms, as they are supposed to do. But in the meantime, that is not really changing what is going to be this ongoing dilemma right all it's doing is trying to survive the day and I worry about that I'm worried that so much energy is being poured into trying to solve the day as opposed to really analyze the ongoing dilemma and come up with a prescription that aligns to the actual problem which to your point has been going on for some time so um I guess that's why we're bringing you here to the table today. Do you, are you seeing a, a similar panic as we see that we see happening in districts throughout the country?
2: Yes, and like you say, it's completely understandable. You know, by law, you have to have a, a teacher in front of those students, and so you get desperate, and all kinds of things are done. I, I remember a few years ago talking to a senior administrator in the Baltimore city school district and they had had shortages and they turned to recruiting teachers from the philippines this was a strategy they adopted and he told me it was quite expensive you, you had to go over there and find these people and then you had to pay for flights to bring them over and help them get set up and he said that the problem was a lot of them didn't even make it through the first semester they just said gosh this is this is too rough i'm not going to do this this is This is rougher than teaching in the Philippines. And so, I mean, a whole lot of money's invested and it's a short-term fix, if that. Uh, States have done signing bonuses. And, you know, one of the findings was as soon as the new teachers get the bonus, then they might move on. So, you know, there's nothing, it's understandable to panic and to wanna get people in the classroom. And there's nothing wrong with trying to increase recruitment and supply but a lot of times it's only a short-term fix at best it's it's like these uh alternative routes to get into teaching they vary and some of them can be very well thought through there's one called troops to teachers to try to recruit uh military veterans to become school teachers it's a very good idea but we do find that if these alternative routes become a shortcut that is we cut corners and we cut corners in terms of the preparation and training of the teachers that people don't last very long there's something about easier in easier out and so again nothing wrong with trying to entice more people into teaching but a lot of times it's a short-term fix and it doesn't address the larger reasons behind the difficulty staffing classrooms and in particular the the high rates by which teachers leave schools
1: in my in my last district where I was superintendent richard um, we it, it was my is my first year in the district and we did a report to the board and the community specific to our ability to open the year fully staffed right that and um so, you know, we had a specific data showing where we were staffed, where we weren't in the district, et cetera, and where we were using substitutes to kind of fill the holes in, uh, until we found permanent positions. I asked the question of how often do we do this report? And they said, well, every, every year, every September. And I said, are we, are we seeing any dramatic differences from September to September in terms of our ability to move the dial on kind of closing that gap? And... Um, you know, we hadn't. Every year we would go through an effort, but every year we would be just a little bit short. So we decided to study the, study the, the problem more specifically. And what we found out aligns to exactly what you've described is it's not necessarily pipeline, it's turnover. Because we found out that um, if we could keep teachers beyond five years, if we could just get them past that five year line, the chances of us losing them decreased significantly in comparison to the first five. So we said, well, we need to put some effort into keeping them past five. What do we need to do? So we started kind of changing our our overall efforts. Me, can you talk to us about what we have seen or maybe not seen as it relates to the, the prescription of focusing on that first number of years? Clearly that's a problem, right? I mean, the teacher turnover is insane, right?
2: Yes. So one of the things we've discovered, and the data show, is that teaching's a line of work in which there's very high quitting in the first few years, between 40 and 50%. And that's a statistic we generated a couple decades ago we've used more recent data. It's still the case. Okay. And then after a few years, just like you say it, the quit rates of teachers, uh, decline, uh, quite a bit. It's people have sort of made it that far and there's a decision point and they decide, you know, I'm going to continue with this. Maybe they don't continue their entire career, their entire life, but they continue. And so the, the quit rates, the turnover rates slow down after five or six years, slow down dramatically. So then this suggests, let's focus on those first few years to figure out what's behind those high quit rates of beginners. How is it that we're losing 40 to 50% within five years? Now, we need to recognize that not all these departures are bad. You know, there's some people that shouldn't be teachers. And if they figure out, you know, this isn't really the job for me, that's good. That's maybe good turnover. On the other hand, high levels of of attrition of teachers, of of losses of teachers are not cost free. So there's been a general recognition that there's a real problem in the first few years of keeping teachers. And so over the last couple decades, there's been a whole genre of reform to provide more support for beginning teachers. Often the word induction is used, induction programs, often the most um, common component is, is, uh, mentoring, getting a veteran teacher to work with the beginners in the building and help them, you know, learn the ropes and survive and maybe even succeed. So, and we also have research on, uh, induction programs. Do they work? I mean, they might be a nice idea, but do they work Do the teachers that get this investment, do they, does their teaching performance improve? Does their retention improve? And the bottom line, do their student scores improve? And we have now a strong body of research showing that yes, where support programs are done well and thought through, in fact, there's positive effects on these outcomes, teacher retention, teachers' caliber, their performance in the classroom, and student uh, test scores. So. So that's, that's a genre of reform, which if done well works, it helps improving retention. Uh, it costs money. It you know, it's an investment sure. to do that. If you have veteran teachers and you're going to have them mentor a series of beginners, well, you need to give them a course reduction and maybe some training ahead of time, maybe even some kind of stipend. So. You know there's some costs associated but that's one type of reform that we have strong data showing that it works
1: so in this um even trying to understand this this new genre of reform as you describe it um it, it begs the question too of of why i mean you would want to probably align your efforts within those first few years to um the why behind teachers leaving and quitting and if I were to ask somebody, uh, an educator, why do you think teachers um, quit within the first five years? I think the answer would just depend upon the person I was talking to. But you can imagine the list, right? It would be maybe, well, it's a compensation issue, or it's a workload issue, or you know, it's the behavior of the students, which has just changed so dramatically over the years, and now they're disrespectful, or... You know, parents are no longer engaged, or my leader or my principal is not supportive. So it would depend upon who you're talking to. But what are you seeing relative to the research on why people are leaving within this first, you know, five years?
2: That's the key question, because that's we don't why I ask out, it,
1: Richard. See, I'm this is yes. <laughs> this is why I ask the question. I'm just I'm just that astute. <laughs>
2: If we don't answer the why question, we're never gonna fix things. So these these high flows of teachers out of schools, particularly in the first few years. We have a lot of data on this. We have data where uh, these are national surveys from the Federal Department of Education where teachers who were left are asked, well. Where are you? What are you doing? And, and why did you depart that school? Are you teaching in another school? Are you going to school or, or graduate school? Or you got another job? What are you doing? Why did you leave? And, and we have these data stretching now back to the late 1980s. And, you know, certain things always rise to the top. So there's the lack of support for beginning teachers. That's one thing that I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, that, it it used to be, and when I was a school teacher, this was, this was the norm. It was called sink or swim or trial by fire. (laughs) You got the job, the principal gave you keys to the classroom, gave you a pat in the back, and that was it. You were on your own. Uh, When I taught, I never saw the principal. I, I you know, you were on your own. I, I, you know, I think I had a 25 minute lunch period and there wasn't time to talk to other teachers and you, you swam or you sank on your own. And so, you know, there's a recognition this is really not the way to do it. <laughs> and uh, so these support programs. So that's one factor back to your question. What other reasons are there behind these high rates? Uh, Salaries is an issue, salaries and benefits. But this is important. Salaries and benefits are not the main reason why teachers depart. They're not the only reason. And that's important because salaries can be expensive. Uh, We still fund our, unlike other countries, fund our K through 12 education, largely from uh, local property taxes, or that's a big piece of it. And uh, raising taxes is hard. I'm not making an argument against raising teacher salaries. I was never particularly well paid as a high school teacher, but that's a tough one. But the data tell us it's not the main factor. A very big factor is what we might call voice. How much say do the teachers have into the key decisions in their school? Is it top down where things are just decided and they get a memo or can they have input and to have have how to solve the various problems in the building. Um, there's also the flip side of this: how much discretion and leeway do teachers have in their classrooms to sort of bend things to fit their particular students? These two issues are crucial. These are huge. These are very important to teachers. Data over the last several decades have shown that they're a major factor behind the high quit rates of teachers, whether they're going to another school or whether they're getting out of teaching altogether. So the voice issue. So support for beginnings, beginning teachers, uh, the voice issue, decision making input. And another one is the level of student misbehavior in the building, the, the student discipline issue this is very big. And I can remember once giving a talk to some legislators on these data and said, you know, that uh, teachers quit when there's student discipline problems in the building and it gets out of hand and it's stressful. And one legislator said, well, look, Professor Ingersoll, you know, what do you expect? And, you know, teenagers are rough and isn't that part of the turf? And yeah, it's unfortunate, but we all know that kids are worse behaved now than when we were teenagers you know i wonder about that but <laughs> in any event you know what can we do professor ingersoll and i had to think about that and i said well but the data tell us that schools vary dramatically in how well they cope with their student behavioral discipline issues and n- By no means is poverty the only factor here. Schools vary dramatically and buildings which do a better job of handling, of coping with their student behavioral and issue problems have far better teacher retention, whether they're large, small, private, public, you know, high poverty, low poverty. So in other words, we don't just have to throw up our hands and say, well, teenagers misbehave, or elementary school kids misbehave or middle school kids misbehave. No, how does the building cope with these things and more importantly how much input do teachers have into the decisions surrounding what behavior is acceptable what's not what are going to be the sticks and carrots what are going to be the sanctions etc so you know those those issues support voice student behavioral issues always rise to the top as far as factors behind the high rates of teacher turnover
1: so this may this may be the perfect then transition it may be, seem like an obvious one is that um, as as we are working with and supporting leaders principals up through superintendents etc and all the leadership positions in between I mean part of our goal is to help provide content uh, content that, supports some of their actions. And so you mentioned these kind of three important buckets, right? The voice of the teachers, making sure that teachers have adequate support, but also discipline in the the school, right? What are some of those policies and practices and so forth? So if we think about the job of the leader, and by the way, let's make sure we, we say this, leaders are turning over at a higher rate than teachers, we believe, right? In terms of superintendents down through principals, which is a significant dilemma. It may not be as many, but the rate is higher. And by the way, the leader does play a very important role in the school, which makes me really, really worry and gives me tremendous anxiety as that is part of our job is to support leaders. That aside, just for a second, and we'll get to it. What It sounds like your uh, thoughts and recommendations on some of the long-term solutions, some of the long-term prescriptions are aligned to those three things, right? Making sure that teachers have agency and voice and feel kind of a part of the movement and the decision-making within the school. And the other is that they are supported. There are systems of support from the leader or teacher to teacher and then there's got to be some system and structure relative to discipline. Is, did I say that adequately or would you want to add some detail to that? How, what would, how would we categorize the, the recommendations for leaders at such a you know, stressful time?
2: I, I think you did summarize that quite nicely. And note, these all have to do with how schools are run and organized and managed. I mean think back when we first started talking, you know, the conventional wisdom on teacher shortages is it's these big demographic trends out there. Student enrollment increases, teacher retirement increases. Think what a different direction the data, the research are pointing, which is that the source of the problem isn't out there. The source of the problem is in here in the sense of how schools work, how they run, how effective is is it as a workplace. And, you know, leadership matters. This is not to put the pressure and the blame on principals or superintendents or vice superintendents or whatever. I mean, like you say, (laughs) there's a high turnover rate among school leadership. So, you know, we don't want to make life tougher. No, but the point is leadership does matter and how those schools are run and managed and organized does matter is what we call in that language, you know, school effects, organizational effects. And of course, you know, in other parts of the economy, other types of industries and organizations, you know, this is, this is commonplace too. I mean, there's no surprise here, you know, that, I mean, in management 101, in the business school, a central principle taught is you don't hold employees accountable for things they have no say in, no control over. On the other hand, you don't give employees a whole lot of control over something and then not hold them accountable. You need a balance, you need a balance. And this, of course, is called effective management, whether it's a bank or a university or a school or a hospital. So, you know, these are things that leadership can do. I'm not trying to say they'd be easy Notice that fixing these types of things, which the data say uh, will improve teacher retention, that fixing these things doesn't necessarily cost a whole lot of money. Raising salaries costs a whole lot of money. I mean, I've given talks before the legislators where, you know, in the beginning, someone will come over to me and quietly and say, listen, Professor Ingersoll, you know, give us your recommendations, but could you just not bring up salaries? (laughs) Because... It's just not going to happen we just don't have the money in the state budget or something like that or in the in the city budget and again i'm not making an argument against increasing salaries but the point is there's other things that can be done not that they're easy but which can help us fix these shortages which we've had for over half a century
1: so um roland barth this uh, you know his, a person that I've read so much about, he used to describe culture in schools, and he would say the simple definition to a school culture is uh, the way we do things around here. That's the definition of culture, which of course has ties to belief systems and past and past practices, all those different things. But the concept is the way we do things around here aligns to or defines the culture of the building. So um, do you think it's fair to say that at this juncture when there is of course this, we do have to fill the holes and make it legal and put people in front of the students. That aside, if we really try to focus on this dilemma on teacher turnover, especially early on in their career, um, is it fair to say to, to kind of focus on our leadership practices would be potentially a very valuable, um, you know, use of energy and resource time even dollars
2: i would say so from the data and the research you know help leadership sort of implement these types of initiatives and we have models out there we have good models of of induction and support for beginning teachers we have good models of uh collective decision making you know where there's uh, a school council that has teachers and administrators both on it that isn't advisory. No, that has authority. It makes decisions. We have good models of how to work with student behavioral discipline problems. So, you know, there's certainly initiatives and there's reforms and models out there that can be drawn from. It's a matter of bringing those to leadership. I mean, so people don't have to reinvent the wheel.
1: Yes, this must be an interesting um... Dilemma, or maybe frustrating for you, and that there there are there are these bright spots, right? There are these pockets of excellence that happen. You've mentioned that there have been some uh, some efforts in schools and in districts that have demonstrated uh, you know a level of effectiveness. Um, what do you think it is that stops us in education from learning from one another relative to really what works? Because there you have mentioned there are schools that don't have the same turnover issues than others. And sometimes that may be based upon, you know, the zip code and the demographic, but often that may be based upon the culture or the practices or the leadership, etc. Isn't it interesting that we sometimes struggle to learn from one another?
2: You know, this this has been a big puzzle in our school system from the beginning. And It might be partly because we have a decentralized system. That is that the federal government, yes, it has a role in education, although that's relatively new and still controversial. You know, I mean, how much power and authority should the U.S. Department of Education have? But from the beginning, education in this country was made into a a uh, state affair and then the local school districts were set up and so you have and that's good in a sense it means that communities supposedly can have input into their the schooling that their children go to and their neighbors children go to but you have this fragmentation so different people do different things and there might be a really good reform out there that no one knows about Uh, I, I, don't, I don't really have the answer for this because one you thing we have learned, I? <laughs> you know, because, I mean, we do have a sense that one size doesn't fit all, that students in this school and this district in this state are different from elsewhere. And so there's a value to having a decentralized model where it's not just centralized and top down, but it does mean that you know there's it's fragmented and people don't necessarily know what others are doing yeah this might be a value to your to this podcast you know this video that it's an attempt to sort of disseminate good ideas
1: yeah 100% so this is a a question this is the, the final question i ask you know our guests it's 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 uh, it's tradition you know, most of, most of what we do to support leaders isn't talking at them. Most of it is kind of round table processes. Um, so if you and I were to pretend that kind of uh, in a very abbreviated way, almost as though like an elevator speech, we're around a table with other principals, central office administrators, superintendents, etc. what would you want your final words of wisdom to be for them in terms of just recommendations? What should they focus on right now relative to this dilemma in your area of expertise?
2: Well, my general view is that leadership matters. The way we run buildings matters. And that you can, in a poorly run school, you can take a great teacher and make them ungrate. And in a well-run school, you can take a very mediocre teacher and make them better. That, I mentioned this term school effects that we, you know, earlier. So, and there is a particular reform that I touched upon earlier that I just like. It's a structural change and it has to do with this issue of voice and decision-making and moving away from a top-down model and having collective decision-making this, of course, is a hallmark of traditional professionals—doctors, lawyers, engineers, professors, etc. The idea is that the professionals have expertise and should have a big voice in the decision-making in their organizations. And believe me, as a professor, one has so much more decision-making input, agency, and voice than when I was a high school teacher. I mean, it's like it's like day to night. Yeah. And so. I really like this whole genre of reform that tries to enhance the agency, the voice of teachers. Now this isn't new and it, and it can fail and it can become you know, sort of faux uh, window dressing or something. There's a particular model out there, uh, mostly in the Midwest, but spreading across the country, a small but growing reform model that it's the most professionalized model I've ever seen of schools and it's schools where they the teachers the teachers call the shots the teachers run the school it's they model themselves explicitly after the partnerships that are common in lawyers and accountants and engineers where you know the lawyers the partners they own the firm you know they make the decisions they are the boss they're also accountable if if things don't go well you know the firm goes under so that implementing that model to have schools in which teachers are calling the shots collectively and of course they're accountable they may have a principal or they may they may have someone handle some of the administrative work but the faculty and this is very close to higher ed i mean in my university the faculty a lot of the show is run by the faculty and so that's an interesting model a controversial model out there uh, to sort of change the structure, the organization, and management of the building.
1: Well, Richard, I think you just gave me a new topic that I'm going to have to uh, start leaning into and researching. I, that's going to be fascinating. And I want to say, um, while, of course, when you left teaching way back when to start studying some of the challenges that you faced, um, it may not have been comfortable at the time, but... Um, it, we sure have benefited from it. So I wanna say thank you so much because well, thank you. you've done just a lot of work for a lot of years relative to your areas of expertise. And um, it just is so helpful to be able to kind of tap your wisdom. So thank you so much for this time. It's, it's very generous of you.
2: Thank you for having me, Jeff.
1: How, how, how do people get in touch with you? So, I mean, if like I was, a, I went to your website, I was able to look through some of your, uh, some of your writing, some of your videos. Is that the best way? What would you uh, say to people if I were, we're going to try to get your word out there? So, what's the best way that people could kind of learn about what you have uh, uh, talked about?
2: I have a web page that the university set up for me. I think it's www. Uh, Richard Ingersoll.com. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I hope
1: I hope well, I got we're, that. We're we're gonna publish that for you on 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 our page. Yes. So thank you.
2: And people can email me at the university, RMI at UPen with two n's dot edu. Okay. And uh, I give a lot of talks, and as you mentioned earlier, there's videos on my webpage. There's also PDFs. Of things I've published, everything from you know 35-page data-heavy research reports all the way to two-page commentaries or opinion pieces or four-page summaries in educational leadership magazine, something like that. So there's there's ways to contact me. There's ways to get a hold of the research we've done and we've published.
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad we have this shared colleague that we both know that put us together. And uh, Richard, thank you so much. I know that um, this won't be the last time we chat. So really, really appreciate you. And I know our viewers will feel the same. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, um, if, I were, if I were a leader in a building, if I were the uh, superintendent or the associate superintendent, regardless, if I was a leader in a school district or system, whether that be public or charter or private, I would want to hear this, and it's not has nothing to do with me. Um, Richard did an incredible jo- job, and uh, I highly recommend you visit his site, start to kind of scour through some of the material because um, it is easy to navigate. I did it, and therefore you can as well. Um, I hope that you have learned even half as much as me. Ladies and gentlemen, educators, leaders, be well.